Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Carving It Up Live right here on Twitter, as well as the Carving It Up YouTube channel and the Grid Network YouTube channel. As always, I'm Bryson Carver. Very excited to be with you on this Friday. Tons to talk about in the NFL, the NBA, even some sort of, I guess you could say, college NFL. Is that sort of intersecting at the draft? I guess you could say it does. Uh, Caleb Williams talk. So I, I, y'all know, at least longtime listeners of the show know how I feel about Caleb. I think he's one of the great uh, talents that we've seen. And Joel Klatt, uh, one of the esteemed college football voices, uh, former college football quarterback himself for Fox Sports, recently put out a tweet that got a lot of buzz about how Caleb Williams is the best prospect he's ever seen in the last decade. And I completely agree with him. I'll detail that, uh, why he is correct in 30 minutes with my own top five prospects since 2012. Very excited about that. Also, why Steph Curry is more likely to win a ring, to win his fifth ring before LeBron James does. More on that in about 15 minutes. Also, later on in the show, why Dak Prescott is absolutely worth a $60 million per year contract after especially more information that just came out today from the NFL and from Adam Schefter and other reports who are covering, uh, covering this newest development in the National Football League's cap. And at the end of the show, why I, I sort of talked about yesterday on my playoff, not my playoff, my NBA, you know, contenders and pretenders segment. Why I think the Milwaukee Bucks, not only just pretenders, but could get knocked out in round one and why I'm selling any stock that I had left uh, in them coming into the season. I did not have them going to the finals. I did have them getting to the Eastern Conference finals, totally out of Milwaukee. I'll detail that at the top of the hour. But first, well, 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 it took a minute. They had me in the first half. They certainly had most of the NBA world in the first half, but it would appear the Golden State Warriors are in a position very similar to this. I think I got my swagger back. Oh, oh, oh. Yep, the Golden State Warriors are more than back. and uh, you know, They get a win last night over the Los Angeles Lakers. They do so by a final score of 128 to 110. And they look fantastic. They're playing outstanding basketball. And there's a lot of reasons for it. So, y'all know, I mean... Certainly, I would think by now the YouTube audience is, is is in on the secret. It's not that much of a secret. I'm a Warriors fan. Wearing Warriors hoodies hoodie today to commemorate uh, the fact that we're playing great basketball. And listen, I am not going to get up here and play revisionist history. I'm not going to do that because my show is on tape. It's on YouTube. It's anywhere you get your podcast. The stuff I say lives forever. So I'm not going to act like in the past, in the last few months, I wasn't on the brink, never went so far as to say it, but on the brink where I'm like, man, if the Warriors don't make some deals of the deadline. Gosh, this dynasty is currently constructed, man. Could be it. Could be it. Um, most, I will not go to all. All is a very strong word. But most in the NBA media we're of the mindset and have been for five years now, really four and a half years, if we're going to go back to the 2019 finals or the end of it at least, that the dynasty was over, run was over. Of course, that got debunked in 2022 when the Warriors uh, ran through the Western Conference, beat the Boston Celtics in six games to get a fourth title in eight years to that point. And I did predict this team to win the championship before the season for many reasons. A, the biggest locker room issue, maybe in the in the entire NBA, Jordan Poole was out of a locker room. He's in Washington. He just got benched if you didn't see that last night for the Wizards. Uh, I also like the addition of Chris Paul coming off the bench as your sixth man. I think when you got one of the best point guards in NBA history as your first guy off the bench, you're in pretty good shape. I thought the depth was there with the youth, with the veterans. They added size. In the draft, they had a good draft with Pajemski and with Trace Jackson Davis. And I thought Kaminga would develop. 
I thought Clay would ball out given his contract year. Now, Clay, you know, come off the bench. That's more of a role that's better suited for him. Pajemski fits better with the starting lineup. Uh, there's no question about that. That's why Kerr's basically made it uh, completely uh, permanent. I mean, yeah, permanent is probably the right word to use when you consider where Golden State's looking at. Kerr all but alluded to that the other day. Uh, Draymond Green, as I'll detail in just a second, is still one of the most impactful players in all of basketball, and they just so happen to have the second best player in the league. His name is Steph Curry. And Steph, by the way, last night, Slowed down a little bit in the second half, but in totality, played a very, very good basketball game. An excellent one at that. 32 points on 12 of 24 from the field, 6 of 13 from 3. He had 8 assists in the game, set the tone for Golden State. And the Warriors rolled to a win over the Lakers, albeit without LeBron James in the lineup. But if you look at the Warriors over the first 43 games of the season, really from opening night all the way to that double overtime loss to the Lakers. More on that in, in just a second, but... In that stretch, 43 games, so right at halfway through the season. One look at so hot in Golden State. Now, they were scoring relatively well. Eight points per game. Uh, or eight, sorry, eighth in points per game. Eleventh in offensive uh, rating. Fourth in rebounds per game. Fourth in offensive rebounds per game. Sixth in assists per game. The problem, though, for Golden State was they couldn't guard me. Uh, 24th in defensive rating. 23rd in points given up per game. 18th in net rating. And they had the 21st best record in the NBA. So, in other words, they were an excellent offensive team and couldn't stop anybody defensively. What you're going to see, and what I'm about to show you from the next 11 games, following that, the last 11 games, rather, is that the offense has gotten better, but because they were top 10 in virtually every statistical category, there wasn't that much to improve from. So the offense has gotten slightly better, and the defense is night and day. We could show you the numbers right here, okay? They got the third in the last 11 games. Golden State ranks third in offensive rating, second in points per game, first in rebounds per game. Yeah, I've been told that Golden State, ah, they're a little team. They just can't compete with the big boys. Funny, they have more rebounds than anybody in the stretch. Uh, sixth in offensive rebounds per game, number one in the NBA in assists per game. That goes right up Steve Kerr's alley. Third in defensive rating. Third in defensive rating. Tenth in points given up per game. So top 10 defense in that regard. Third in the NBA in net rating, and they're tied with the best record in basketball at 9-2. and two. And I'm sure you see that little asterisk at the bottom, that little star down there on the graphic. If you're watching the show on YouTube or on Twitter, the Warriors have the sixth easiest strength of schedule remaining, which is important because Golden State right now is the 10th seed. Half game back of the Lakers for the 9th seed. That's why last night's win was, was really important. And a whole four games back of the sixth seed, when the, the reason the sixth seed is important was because sixth seed and above does not have to participate in the NBA uh, in uh, play in tournament. So regular season ends on a Sunday in mid-April. You get a week, six days to seven days. So basically a week off before your next basketball game. Heal up, get your, you know, get your health right instead of having to playing do or die basketball games, sort of win or go home type of contest against like the Lakers, the Kings, Dallas, Phoenix are kind of in that mix right now. If Utah potentially sneaks in later this season. So in other words, Golden State has been arguably the best team in basketball over the last 11 games. That's not a small sample size, folks. That's a, a nice chunk over the last month or so. But the reason I brought up when I mentioned the first 43 games, the reason I brought up from opening night to the double overtime loss to the Lakers. You remember that game? First of all, probably the best game all season long in the NBA. It was, whether you're rooting for the Warriors, the Lakers, Steph, LeBron, doesn't matter. That, one, that was the game of the year. Double overtime, both teams hitting clutch shots. 
Uh, again, shot making in general from Golden State and from LA is just off the charts great. There's controversial calls. There's technicals. There's all kinds of crazy stuff happening. And headlining, of course, were Steph and LeBron. Uh, two guys I still believe to be the best player, not the best players, the most important players and the faces still of the NBA. But the Lakers win that game. Because LeBron, with four seconds left, takes the ball, drives the basket, gets fouled, hits two clutch free throws to win it for the Lakers. Following, that was after Steph hit a bomb three with four and a half seconds left to put the Warriors up by one. Then LeBron breaks mine and every other Warriors fan's hearts by hitting those two free throws, and the Lakers win. And Steph Curry, who's not an emotional player, I mean, is an exuberant player, but not an overly emotional player. There's a difference. After the game, he looks pissed as you know what, daps up LeBron, talks to him for a few seconds, doesn't shake any other Lakers hand, doesn't talk to anybody, doesn't acknowledge his teammates, his coaches, nothing. That is not Steph, if we've watched him long enough. Walks to the locker room and tears his jersey in half. He's pissed, crazy pissed about the outcome of that game in large part because of how the previous 42 games to that point have played out. Golden State could score on anybody and anybody could score on them. I think that was the turning point. Because I think when that video, which, again, there's a video that came out immediately after on Twitter and all the social platforms, Steph is not an in-your-face type of guy. That's more what Draymond Green is there for. I could see that being a moment where Warriors teammates, they're on their phones, they're on social media. They're not, listen, when athletes tell you they're tuning out the noise, it's in 2024, that's virtually impossible unless you don't have a device near you. Okay, they're lying to you. Warriors players saw that and were like, dang, dang, even Steph is kind of losing his temper. We need to step it up. We need to play better defense. And again, we'll show you, forget the other stats on offense and whatnot. Defensive stats, we can show you from, uh, where's the first stat? From the first 43 games of the season. Okay, so the Warriors go from a 24th in defensive rating, 23rd in points given up, to 3rd in defensive rating and 10th in points given up, which is massive. It's, it's a massive gap. It's like going from one of the worst defensive teams to one of the best and most efficient defensive teams in basketball. And it's why I said, you know, coming into the season, I thought they could win the championship. But the more I thought about it, what was the issue, even more so, and not, not just with the defense, but in general? Because so many times I'd watch a Warriors game and I watch every dribble of every game like the rest of the nation does. And I'm like, what is going on with this team? They're losing these clutch games. They're right there with some of the best in all basketball. I mean, they, they beat the Celtics. They were in three, not one, not two, three dogfight games with the defending champion Denver Nuggets. They could have won any three of them. One was a close loss in Denver. Steph missed a layup that would have tied it. Uh, the second one was a Christmas Day game that was nip and tuck. Denver made a few plays at the end. And the third one was in Golden State, and Jokic hit a ridiculous game-winning shot from half court to win it. So, Golden State's on the doorsteps of the best. They just couldn't close. Kerr, Draymond, Steph, Chris Paul, all but swore, guys, we're going to get this right. Kerr is like, I know we have it in this team. I, I know we've got what it takes to get to the next level. And, and to the point where I'm like, is he gaslighting us? Is he trying to help his team? Does he really believe this? Who am I to doubt Steve Kerr? One of the three best coaches in basketball, frankly, along with, to me, Ty Lue and Eric Spolstra. What was the issue, though, for Golden State that plagued them, though, in the first 43 games that have seemingly gone poof in the last 11? You say their defense. Correct, but deeper than that. 
they were missing over a big chunk of those 43 games the second most important player to the dynasty. Steph is Steph. We know who he is. That's not Clay Thompson. That's not Iguodala. That's not, you know, Harrison Barnes or Sean Livingston. No, no, no. It's Draymond Green. And everybody, last season and this season in particular, when Draymond put himself in position to get suspended the first time with when he choked Rudy Gobert, which I said the next day on the show, I absolutely defend him. That that action, he just he just he choked Rudy too long. Because Rudy's about to choke old Clay. Draymond not gonna let Rudy do that to his teammate. He'd be a bad teammate if he didn't interject. He just choked him out, uh, choked him too long. Could have choked the guy out. Not cool. The second time, unprovoked punches Yusuf Nurkic, which gets him an indefinite suspension. That was the key in Golden State. The emotional catalyst, the guy who makes this team work on offense and on defense, was not there. We can show you. I keep hearing, oh, Draymond, you know, the juice is not worth the squeeze. He's more trouble than he's worth. Really, let's look at those numbers, shall we? Golden State with Draymond Green, fifth in offensive rating, fourth in points per game. They are first in rebounds per game, second in assists per game, 11th in defensive rating, 16th uh, in points uh, points allowed. That's not great, but you're going to see it gets even worse uh, without him. Net rating tied for fifth in the NBA, and they have the 14th best record when he's healthy. Now, some of those numbers you're like, yeah, 16th, 14th, 11th. Like, what is that? Well, it gets worse. Literally every number gets worse when he leaves. So the Warriors go from being the fifth best offensive team with him to without him, the sixth best offensive team. So there's a drop there, but it's like, okay. I'll sacrifice a little offense if it means we get more points per game and whatnot. Points per game goes down from fourth to ninth. Rebounds per game goes down from first to eighth. Assists per game. This is without Draymond Green, ladies and gentlemen. Assists per game goes down from second to seventh. Defensive rating with Draymond Green. The Warriors are the 11th best defensive team in basketball. Without him, they are the single worst defensive team in the NBA. Points per game allowed, they go from 16th to 24th. Net rating, they go from tied with the fifth best net rating in basketball to tied with the 21st best net rating in basketball. And they go from having the 14th best record in basketball to having the 20th best record in basketball. Case in point, bottom line, Draymond Green's still valuable. The Warriors are 10-5 and since he's come back. The defense has gotten exponentially better. Ball movement has gotten better, as reflected in large part by the assist numbers you just saw there. This team, when healthy, can beat anybody in the Western Conference in a seven-game series. As a matter of fact, I still think, I still think, Denver's the favorite to win the West. They're the defending champions. They're healthy. They have virtually everybody from the team last year outside of Bruce Brown. Uh, Jokic, I think, is still the best player in the world. Malone's a great coach. Playoff Jamal Murray is a real thing. Aaron Gordon, size, length, defense, offense, the whole bit. I got Golden State set, second. Don't trust Minnesota whatsoever in the playoffs. I don't trust Rudy Gobert. Don't trust Carl Anthony Towns. Don't trust Chris Finch. All three of them have very, very checkered playoff passes. Like Mike Conley, but he's getting up there in age. Anthony Edwards is excellent. He is excellent. I got no, no doubts about him. The rest, eh. I like OKC. I listed them as a contender on Wednesday's show, but they're kids. SGA, Jalen Williams, Chet Holmgren. Even their coach, Dagnall's pretty young. Clippers, really. So we're going to buy into the Clippers over the Golden State Warriors. We're really, we're going to do that, are we? 
a Kawhi Leonard who's physically unreliable in the playoffs, a James Harden who's, I don't know if it's psychologically, it's certainly not his ability because his ability, you know, makes him a, an all-star virtually every year of his career. Harden in the playoffs is a disaster. Paul George struggles to stay healthy in the playoffs. Westbrook doesn't have the greatest postseason history. So we're going to trust the Clippers over Golden State. That's So we're going to do that. Pelicans like them. I actually think they're fringe contenders. Zion has yet to play a playoff game. This Pelicans team, this group has yet to win a single playoff series. Sacramento, Golden State beat them when their locker room was a, a disaster a year ago. Still beat the Sacramento Kings, who are as good this year. Phoenix, I love Kevin Durant. I'm worried about him physically. I'm even more worried about Bradley Beal physically. And Book is excellent, but he's not a true point guard, which they don't have. And I don't trust them on the defensive end of the floor. Lakers, I'll bet some about LeBron and Steph later in terms of title odds for the two of those guys for LeBron and Steph. But LeBron's 39. AD, we know, can be, and to his credit, he's been physically reliable to this point. We don't know if that's going to be the case in April beyond that. Bench, good, like their roster. Don't trust Darvin Ham. You're telling me a team. With Steph Curry, with Draymond Green, who the numbers and the eye test and these film, everything clearly bear out. He's an integral part of this Golden State team and still one of the most valuable players in all of basketball. Jonathan Kaminga gets better every time he steps on the floor. Andrew Wiggins has been exponentially better in this 11-game stretch. Now he's back at the starting lineup with a lineup that works for him. Brandon Pajemski is a home run draft pick, as is Trace Jackson Davis. Bench is excellent. Chris Paul, by the way, coming back from injury. Gary Payton coming back from an illness. Steve Kerr's the coach. Yeah, yeah, Golden State is bare minimum. Knock on wood for health. Going to be in the Western Conference Finals. Bare minimum. I saw something different as soon as two weeks ago. As recently as two weeks ago with this team. They were playing better defense. They seemed more engaged. Uh, Steph was not having to carry this group on a night-to-night basis. Kerr was pushing all the right buttons with the rotation. And it just needed a little time. Needed some time to bake. Needed some time to really work itself out. Takes time with these things. You know, the Warriors, props to to, to Mike Dunleavy Jr., who I've liked from the second he came in to replace Bob Myers. And Bob Myers, we know, is going to be in the Hall of Fame one day as a GM, and rightfully so. Mike Dunleavy Jr. watched that guy for a couple of years as one of the Warriors' higher-up execs. He saw how that guy operated, and he's constructed a team very similar to a lot of those Golden State teams of championships past. This team is every bit of the contender that any team in the NBA is, and if healthy, worst-case scenario, they'll be in the Western Conference Finals. Golden State, once again, as I talked about earlier and played that soundbite earlier, I think they got their swagger back, and it's very apparent. My man Patrick in the comments. Happy Friday, everyone. Happy Friday to you, Patrick. Grid Network, be sure to check out Patrick's articles, by the way, on the Grid Network website. Great stuff there. But I'm telling you, listen, I it, it didn't make sense to me over the first 40-plus games. I'm like, what is up with this team? Oh, well, they're old. They're old. Like, that's why they're old. They're old. They're out of their prime. I'm like, I can't see it. Draymond's still valuable. Steph's still awesome. Now, Clay, you can make that case with. But after that, Kaminga's young. Wiggins is young. Trace Jackson Davis. Brandon Pajemski's young. Moses Moody's young. Chris Paul's getting up there in age, but you're not asking you're not asking for the Chris Paul five years ago. You're asking for Chris Paul to come out there, give you two, three, four buckets a game, play solid defense, control the pace, limit the turnovers. 
the games he's been healthy, he's done that. Now, can he stay healthy? That's a more than legitimate question. But th th this, this is the team that when they constructed it in the offseason that I thought we were going to get. This team. That's why it was so... Last year, it made sense. Because obviously, Kaminga hadn't fully developed yet. It made sense in hindsight, and even toward the end of the season, why Golden State just couldn't reach the level they did in 2022. It made sense. Why is that? The locker room was... I have, trust me, tons of sources in the Bay Area will tell you this. I promise you. That locker room two years ago was an absolute train wreck. A year ago, it was a disaster. It was horrible. With the Draymond pool incident, which I still defend Draymond on to this day because, A, you see how Poole's playing Washington. B, more importantly, if more folks were aware of what Jordan Poole said to Draymond, I'm shocked Draymond didn't punch him earlier than he did. I'm not advocating violence on the show. Don't do that. But Draymond was well within his right to do what he did. He was. And it caused a divide in the locker room. Kerr had a lot in his plate. So did Steph. And even still, they got to the second round of the playoffs. You know, I mean, that's as bad as it got. They still got to win the two wins of the Western Conference Finals. And who knows, could a couple of go-either-way games and games one and four against the Lakers, maybe they get there. Now, they probably wouldn't have beaten Denver because Denver was rolling through everybody. But worst-case scenario last year with a horrible locker room was second round of the playoffs. The locker room has been good all season long. All the veterans have all but told you that in Golden State. Now they've got the defense fixed. The bench is excellent, one of the best in the NBA. Steph is still, I don't know, amazing. Draymond is still incredibly valuable and important to this team. Clay's in a reduced role. I got Steve Kerr uh, coaching my basketball team. Feel pretty good about that. Yeah. Yeah, no reason to believe that this team will not be the sixth seed uh, by the end of the regular season. Again, I'll show you the last. Don't even pay attention to these other stats above about the Warriors number the last game, 11 games, offensive, defensively. You see record 9-2, and two, tied for first in the NBA, but more important, below that, sixth easiest strength of schedule remaining? I'm just telling you right now. I mean, Golden State's got to play Charlotte tonight. Or I shouldn't say got to play. Gets to play Charlotte tonight. Now, it's the NBA, 82-game season, anything can happen, but... I mean, just in the next couple weeks, okay? Golden State has Charlotte, Washington, Toronto, Chicago, Spurs twice. I mean, they got some win. They, they get to play Memphis beyond that. A lot of Charlotte after that again as well. I mean, there's a lot of winnable basketball games for Golden State over the next um, month and a half. John Rivera, Fan Perspective Podcast. What's up, John? John, they will get to the second round. Again, I, I would call that a failure. Given now, if you asked me that question a month ago, I'm like, oh, please help us to get to the second round. But now that the team is rounded out into what it was supposed to be before the season, particularly on the defensive end of the floor, and again, this is without Chris Paul coming off the bench for you. Western Conference Finals, worst case scenario. If the if the if the true season from hell last season got them to the second round, you're here to tell me again, healthy, knock on wood that they can't get to worst case. Now, again, if they get their loose to Denver in six or seven games, okay, you know, Denver's the back, to, not the back-to-back. -back. Denver is the defending champion. It would make perfect sense for the, for the Nuggets to win. After that, don't trust anybody in the West to beat this team in a seven-game series. Anybody. Let's see, what, what's that, uh, John, John? Is that a, a thought bubble? Oh, he says California dreaming. California dreaming. Okay, I, I, I like that. You know what? 
that's a I'm curious what you because I know the song California Dreaming, obviously, but uh you, you talking about dreaming of championships? Because I'm telling you, I I I am the ultimate objective Warriors fan, and I was on the brink. Folks can talk. I mean, I, I remember doing a segment right before the NFL playoffs started. It was a Friday. And it was after Golden State had lost to the Nuggets when Jokic had a half-court shot off the glass to beat us. And in that game, we'd blown an 18-point fourth-quarter lead. Like, it, it was just a disaster. Worst-case scenario of that game. And I came in the next day, and I'm like, I may be willing to declare the dynasty dead if they don't make some deals at the deadline. Like, it, it's not working. Wiggins' confidence is in the tank. Same could be said about Clay. Draymond's still not back. Steph's carrying the team on his back. Like, it's just, it's not, the rotation, it's not working. Uh, but since that Lakers loss, it's it doesn't even look like the same team. So, that is, that is what happens. And, and you know what? It's very, this is what dynasties do. This is very Kansas City Chiefs-esque. When Kansas City, you know, points this, this season, is like, ah, offense isn't playing very well. Mahomes doesn't look right. Kelsey's not healthy. Ah, uh, the weapons, eh. I'm going to trust Mahomes. I said, how many times did I use this line during the regular season? If I've got Mahomes, Kelsey, Reed, I'm going to go out on a limb and say those guys are going to figure it out eventually. And you know what? They found a formula, and they did, because the defense was great all season long. That's what Golden State's doing. Sort of sticking with the Warriors, but broadening a discussion to morally, or really narrowing a discussion to individual players. Let's talk about Steph Curry, and let's talk about LeBron James. Now, both... For their eight in general, in ge compared to you know relative to other players currently playing, are playing excellent. Steph and LeBron, relative to NBA history, for a guy in Steph who's in year fifteen, for a guy in LeBron who's in year twenty-one, what they are doing defies logic. Because Steph Curry this season, year fifteen, is averaging twenty-eight points per game. 46, again, as a perimeter player, 46% for the field, 42% from three, 92% from the free throw line. So, Steph, again, averaging an efficient for a size, for a guard, if an efficient 48 per, or 46% of the field, 28 per, uh, points per game in year 15, LeBron James, as an old man, let me back up, the oldest man in the league, LeBron this season is averaging, if we could pull this up here, I got my notes. Okay, uh, LeBron James this season averaging 25 points per game. He is averaging, do we have this? Yeah, 25 point, 24.8 points per game, seven rebounds, eight assists, 52% for the field. By the way, shooting 39.5% from three-point range. So this is maybe LeBron's best three-point shooting year. Both guys have just been indescribably amazing, particularly for their age. Um, and it's why I still buy in the Lakers as contenders. I still do, as long as both LeBron and AD are there, and they still have most of their guys ready to go. Reeves, D'Lo can be hit and miss, so I don't really trust him. But again, Hachimura, Christian Wood, guys like that, Like I, I trust that they'll be able to right the ship and get into the playoffs and, and potentially make some noise. And I certainly trust Golden State, as I just laid out over the last 20 minutes or so. But a discussion has started, and full transparency. This week, this is the one week of the sports year. Maybe not the one week. The, the the If you had to rank weeks of the year, calendar, January, December, that have the least amount of sports stories, this week may rank at the top every year, where it's all-star games on Sunday, football season's over, 
Spring training started in baseball. Let's be honest. There's virtually no stories there. Nationally relevant stories. Uh, basketball doesn't start back until Thursday. And so you're like, okay, we've got to find something to talk about. Like, that's why I some, sometimes save segments that I could do the week prior to the next week. Cause I'm like, I, if it's still relevant, I want to do it then to be able to, to, to create content for y'all. Cause I don't want to just be mail, mailing in a show and talking about things that don't matter that much. So a discussion that started this week because of that, because we all have a ton to talk about up until last night, at least with the NBA coming back is I saw it on first take. I saw it on first things first. I've seen it on a lot of shows is that who's willing, who's willing, who's more, Likely to win a ring, to get ring number five. Is it Steph Curry? Is it LeBron James? Now, I want to preface what I'm about to say with this. If neither the Warriors or Lakers win a championship this year, and both LeBron and Steph are stuck on five, which, or sorry, stuck on four, which stuck on four, you know, four rings ain't exactly bad. I hope the answer to this question five months from now is they have literally the exact same chance to win. Because they'll play on the same team. I hope that's the case. I'm still not. I, it's it's still out there. You tell me LeBron James wouldn't like to play with Steph Curry. We have him quoted as saying he'd like to play with Steph Curry. And he's friends with Draymond Green. Point being, that aside, the answer to this question is obviously Steph. So, I still maintain the Lakers are championship contenders. I, I still do. If LeBron's healthy. AD's healthy. They still got the roster they got. They could scare anybody. Win a couple of playoff rounds. Maybe even win three. but he is 39 years old. Now, I'm certainly not going to shortchange and be like, well, he can't be at his best for a couple nights from time to time in the biggest of games. No, we know he can because we saw him do it last year. He did it to Memphis in game four when he dropped 20 points and 20 rebounds, uh, which is crazy. In game six against Golden State when he dropped 30 on us to eliminate us. And in game four, when the Lakers, albeit they got swept, but he dropped, I think it was like a 40-point triple-double and played almost every minute of the game. So LeBron could turn it on when he absolutely has to. You get that more consistently from Steph. And realistically, if they're not on the same squad, just the math adds up. Steph's going to have longer to win ring number five than LeBron is. And frankly, if LeBron remains with the Lakers, which I talked about earlier this week, he said, I want to I retire a Laker. If that's true, if he stays with LA in free agency this summer, you're telling me I'm supposed to trust the Lakers front office, which has been a an abject failure since the late great Dr. Jerry Buss passed away a decade ago. I'm supposed to trust that front office over the one ran by Joe Lacob, one of the most aggressive owners in the NBA, and Mike Dunleavy Jr., who's a Bob Myers protege. Multiple reports. Lacob has all but talked about it. And this is why this is why people like Jerry Jones drive me absolutely insane for not being aggressive when your team maybe has a window to be competitive, does not go aggressive and go and get star players. This is why I love Joe Lacob. He will come hell or high water, put together a team he feels like can compete for a championship because he's obsessed with winning. Lacob, as well as multiple Warriors reporters, Anthony Slater, who covers Golden State for the Athletic, has alluded to this as well, that whatever happens this season, if it's first-round exit or if it's hoisting the Larry O'Brien trophy, whatever happens, they're going to be really aggressive in trying to get a star wing player this offseason. My guess is likely to, they would have to move on from Clay in all likelihood. Clay's a free agent uh, and will command. We'll see how much money he commands, but you may have to let him go for cap purposes. My guess is Golden State's plan is to center around like a, a main trio, if not a, a you know, add Kaminga to it. 
where it's Steph, Draymond, said wing star player, Jonathan Kaminga, and build around that. Because Steph is still awesome, as I talked about earlier. Draymond is, is doing what he does, and Kaminga just gets better every time I watch the guy play. I mean, he's he's darn near 60%. He's about 60-plus percent in the paint. He's improved from three-point range. He's a long, athletic, rangy, smart defender. Great rebounder for his size. Like, Jonathan Kaminga's going to be in this league for a very, very long time and make a lot of all-star games as he continues to progress. So a, a team in Golden State that has a step closer to his prime, who still has Draymond, who's impactful, Kaminga's only getting better, I'm supposed to trust that less than the Lakers, who have, by and large, a bad front office, not good ownership. Polink has had his moments. He did get Anthony Davis. He did have an excellent trade deadline last year to his credit. Outside of that, ugh, some rough head coach hirings, some bad free agent deals, the Westbrook thing. It's not great. I'm going to roll with Mike Dunley Jr. over... Rob Plink any day of the week. I'm going to roll with Steve Kerr over said Lakers coach any day of the week. Unless they get Eric Spolster or Ty Lue, Golden State will have the coaching advantage. Which I'd put, I'd put Kerr and Ty Lue on the same level. I think Spolster is the best coach in all of basketball. I think he gets more out of his players than any coach that I've seen in quite some time. He's awesome. If we're talking about who's more likely to get in ring number five, I think it's absolutely Steph. First of all, I think his team's better this year, so... In general, he's got a better chance this year individually. And as far as his timeline, I feel like LeBron is going to be, I still think he's an elite basketball player. He's averaging 25-8-7 on 50% shooting. That's elite basketball play. I still think LeBron's going to be that this year, and I still think we'll see it next year in year 22. After that, I don't know. Heck, he could step away after that. He could be done after, after next season. He almost retired. He considered it at least after the previous year, after last season. So. Has a lot less longer than, than, than Steph does. And for the record, because this is worth mentioning, <laughs> in the event that Steph does get ring number five before LeBron does, or if LeBron doesn't get ring number five at all and Steph does, but because I, I listen, I don't know if LeBron, I'm not going to, all I predict LeBron doesn't get another ring because I don't know if he comes to Golden State. I don't know if he could, the Lakers win this year. Who knows? I still think Steph has a better chance, and I do think he'll get at least one more. In the event that happens... That does not impact the GOAT debate one iota. It just, it flatly doesn't. Because LeBron would still, and I love Steph. I think Steph, in my mind, he's the sixth greatest basketball player ever. I think he can go as high as Mount Rushmore. I, I my, my top six, I've got Steph at sixth. Only guys I have above Steph in this order, Braun, Jordan, Kareem, Kobe, Magic. I've got Steph over Duncan, Bird, Shaq, Hakeem, Russell, Wilt, name anybody. Anybody that's not named LeBron James, Michael Jordan, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Kobe Bryant, and Magic Johnson, I think Steph's better than them all time. Flatly. I think he's this close. A title away from passing Magic. Uh, and maybe a title and an MVP or two titles away from passing Kobe. Now, I don't think he can catch Kareem. Kareem's basketball resume is insane. Might be the His resume is probably the best we've ever seen. Six championships, six MVPs, longevity, all-time scoring leader for four decades before LeBron broke it. His resume is outstanding. Michael Jordan, his airness, whatever you want to call him, MJ, many, call, many believe he's the go. I was one of them until LeBron broke the scoring record. That was the straw that broke the camel's back for me. But six for six in the finals, five MVPs. Uh, Steph could match Jordan in MVPs. I don't 
I'm sorry, I'm not in MVPs and championships. Steph's not getting three more MVPs. I'm not sure he's getting another MVP because he is getting up there in age. Uh, although you can't tell. And then LeBron, <laughs> 10 finals appearances. At one point, he went to eight freaking finals in a row. Many hold the, the six finals losses against him. I'd say four of those, he had virtually no chance to win. I'd say the three Golden State finals he lost in 15, 17, and 18. And the Spurs loss in four, I'm sorry, the Spurs loss in 07. Guy had no chance to win those series. None. He was completely, his teams were completely outclassed, outmanned, outcoached in many aspects. Like, it just wasn't good enough to win. So, I, I don't think Steph can catch LeBron all time, Jordan all time, or Kareem all time. I don't. Anybody else? Fair game. I think he can catch McCoby. I think he will catch Magic at some point. He's not there yet, but I think he will catch Magic as the fifth best player ever. But it will not impact LeBron's GOAT status. Why? So, so we're going to hold against LeBron James that he couldn't beat a younger and closer to his prime Steph Curry when LeBron is friggin' 39 years of age. I think LeBron is at a stage in his career right now, to be completely honest with you, where I think he can only gain things and not lose anything. If the Lakers go out in round one, are we are we really going to hold that against LeBron? Like, uh, honest, like let's be let's be intellectually honest with ourselves. Are we going to really hold it against a 39 year old man in year 21 going out to younger guys who should be doing what they're doing? What LeBron's doing again? Does not make sense. The only the only parallel is Tom Brady. That's it. For years, I called Tom Brady the great outlier. You know, forty year olds aren't supposed to be doing what Tom's doing. Same could be said about LeBron. It's fantastic, but I do think Steph's more likely to get ring number five than LeBron. Now, shifting to the NFL draft, and I love the NFL draft. I love the build up to it. I'm not as big on the combine as others. I, I've just never, I've never taken much from guys in tank tops and shorts doing exercises. I, I just, a, a pro days could care less about pro, pro days mean absolutely nothing to me. I take more from college tape. What was the system that, what was the system you were in? Who did you have around you? Were you at a college football powerhouse? Are you, you know, are you mature? Are you a good leader? Do you process information quickly? I take all those things way more into account than guys running in shorts in Indianapolis. It, it doesn't matter to me at all. You got It's got to be, you have to truly pop off the charts like Anthony Richardson did. Like, I think Anthony Richardson was going to be like, I, I don't know what, what the draft stock was in him pre-combine last year, about a, a year ago at this time. My guess is mid to late first rounder. That combine is like, yeah, he's one of the he's one of the two or three best quarterbacks of the draft. Uh, Indianapolis, you're on the clock, and they took him fourth overall, and I think will be a better franchise because of it. This upcoming draft, we got a lot of great quarterbacks: Bo Nix, Drake May, Michael Penix Jr. Love Jaden Day. I'm a big Jaden Daniels guy. A lot of folks like JJ McCarthy more than I do, but I understand why folks like him. A lot of talented quarterbacks. None of them, it, it's rare where all the quarterbacks pan out. You could argue, actually, 2020 was an exception to the rule. Burrow panned out. Tua isn't what Miami thought he'd be, but Tua's still a good player. Uh, Herbert has panned out. And Jordan Love looks to have panned out for the Green Bay Packers as far as first-round guys, and that matters, the first-round aspect of it. A lot of talented guys. And none more talented than Caleb Williams out of USC. Joel Klatt, who works for Fox Sports, does a fantastic job covering the games with Gus jo uh, Gus Johnson every Saturday afternoon uh, on that network. He put out a tweet that's gotten a lot of buzz, a lot of pushback, a lot of a lot of agree uh, people agreeing with him. 
I'll put it up here right here and read it for the audience, those that are listening. Joel Klatt the other day. If I were to rank as prospects the quarterback since 2012, Andrew Luck, RG3, here's where they would stack up. And he ranks them. Number one, Caleb Williams. Number two, Trevor Lawrence. Three, Burrow. Number four, he's got Drake May. And number five, Bryce Young. And at the bottom, he says, note, evaluation of Mahomes was difficult and no quarterback had succeeded from that offense prior. And he's 100% right. Like, that's anybody that tells you, hey, even the people that like Mahomes, that thought, you know, I thought he was going to be probably the best quarterback. I mean, this is the the lowest compliment I could give Patrick. I think he's going to be the best quarterback in the NFL. They're lying to you. That nobody saw that coming. The people that like Mahomes did not see that coming. A guy who's 13 and 19 in college, which college record, I don't really... I mean, if you go undefeated Ohio State, yeah, I'd, I ho- I'd hope you do. I- I'd hope you get to the college football playoff at Ohio State. I'd, I'd sure hope so. But Joel Klatt's 100% right. Caleb Williams since 2012 is the best prospect I've ever seen. And I'll put up Joel Klatt at his list. I'll put it up one more time. He had Caleb in this order. Caleb, Trevor, Burrow, Drake May, and Bryce Young in this order since 2012. These, to me, are the best prospects that I've seen. Again, put it up here right now. Uh, one to five. I've got Caleb Williams, Trevor Lawrence, Andrew Luck, Justin Herbert, Josh Allen. Those that, uh, now Trey Lance was a guy I considered putting the top five because I, I thought Trey was going to be the best court. I'm sorry, the guy who had the best career of the 2021 draft picks because he went to San Francisco. That obviously did not even come close to panning out. Brock Purdy's the guy over there now. Um, I, I'm still I'm a, still a massive Trevor Lawrence believer. I think the guy is remarkably talented and is playing for a crap organization in Jacksonville that has not had a whole lot of success, and there's a reason because of that. Uh, Andrew Luck, I think, is one of the great quarterback talents we've seen coming out of Stanford. Size, arm strength, great in the pocket, smart, aware, like loved Andrew Luck. Justin Herbert, I thought was the best quarterback. If, if you go back four years ago when it was COVID and there was nothing to talk about, I talked a lot of NFL draft. I loved Justin Herbert. Big, uh, you know, big arm Big physical guy, mobile. He showed that in, in, in the Rose Bowl against Wisconsin. You know, smart kid, the, the whole bit. Loved everything that, that Justin Herbert brought to the table. And I think the organization in LA has failed him the first four years of his career. Up until this year, he gets the pleasure of getting to play for Jim Harbaugh. And finally, at number five, many think I'm a Josh Allen hater, which is just inaccurate. I just don't think he's Mahomes. I don't think that's hating. Uh, but I loved, I thought Josh Allen was the best quarterback out of that, out of that 18 draft. Now, I was wrong. I think Lamar Jackson is better than Josh Allen. But as far as prospects, Josh Allen's one of the five best I've seen. Because the thing is, when you look at, if you look at each first-round quarterback since 2012, please tell me who thinks a better prospect, not player, prospect, than Caleb Williams. So 2012, and that's when Clap referred to, that is the first one he went back and looked at. 2012, first-round quarterbacks. Andrew Luck, RG3, Tannehill, Brandon Whedon. Luck's the only guy you can consider putting in the class as a prospect with Caleb Williams. 2013, only first rounder was EJ Manuel. That's we're not even going to discuss that. 2014, first round guys, Blake Bortles, Johnny Manziel, Teddy Bridgewater. None of them are in the same galaxy talent-wise as Caleb. 2015, actually happened to be the, the, the first and second overall picks. Jameis Winston, Marcus Mariota. I was a big Mariota guy. He didn't pan out the way I thought he would. Never viewed him as high as I viewed Caleb Williams. 2016, first round guys. Jared Goff, Carson Wentz, Paxton Lynch. You know, Goff has obviously panned out, not into being first overall pick good, but Goff's a very good player. Wentz didn't pan out. Paxton Lynch didn't even come close to panning out. Just a straight-up bust there. None of them talent-wise are the prospects Caleb Williams are. 2017, okay, first-round guys. Mitch Trubisky, Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson. 
as Clap mentioned, and I totally agree with him, <laughs> anybody that thought Mahomes was going to be this is lying. Or is, is Sorry, anybody that says they thought is lying to you. I, I thought Deshaun was going to be the best out of that 2017 draft. He obviously wasn't. Uh, better than Trubisky, certainly. Trubisky's awful. But again, none of those guys, talent-wise, as a prospect, did not have them in the same category as Caleb. 2018, we had a lot of guys. Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, Josh Allen, Josh Rosen, Lamar Jackson. Allen loved as a talent, loved or loved, loved as a prospect. I did not love him as much as I love Caleb now. 2019, first-run guys. Kyler Murray, Daniel Jones, and the late Dwayne Haskins. Didn't view any of them in the, in the same category as I viewed uh, Caleb Williams. 2020. Best quarterback draft maybe we've seen in some time since the early 80s. Burrow, Tua, Herbert, Jordan Love. A lot of folks were really high on, on Joe Burrow. I was not. Clearly, I was wrong. He's the second-best quarterback in the league. I loved Herbert. He's He's been really what I thought he'd be. The Chargers organization has just failed him to this point. Liked Love, didn't love him. Uh, no pun intended. And wasn't a huge Tua guy from an injury standpoint. And then eventually his time went on from a production standpoint. 2021. Trevor, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, Justin Fields, Mac Jones. I love Trevor more than any of them put together. I still think he's the second best prospect I've seen that I've you know covered drafts for. Love him. Don't view him as, as good as, as Caleb. 2022, only first rounder was Kenny Pickett. Uh, I don't even want to discuss that as a Steelers fan today. 2023, Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, Anthony Richardson. Uh, don't view them as, now. Richardson's an incredible, uh, you know, physical athlete. Bryce Young, and you will see this year if the Panthers give him an offensive line, the kid is deadly accurate, is mobile, is smart. I, Bryce Young will never be as good as C.J. Stroud, and I said that last year. That does not mean he's as bad as what you saw last year. Again, I, I said I defended Bryce Young all last year. Turn on any Carolina Panthers team uh, game and tell me, yeah, Bryce is the issue. Br Bryce is far from the issue in Carolina. I'm not saying he's going to be a star. I am saying he's not as bad as what you saw last year. And Stroud, I liked a lot of things about Stroud, size, arm strength, uh, but I didn't think, again, there was the Ohio State question. A lot of Ohio State guys just don't pan out in the NFL. Stroud obviously has. Anybody who's a Caleb Williams skeptic, and there's oddly a lot of them, I ask this question because, again, I maintain, and this is why I'm doing this segment, I think he's the best quarterback prospect I've ever seen. That I've ever seen. I didn't, I didn't see I didn't see Peyton Manning. I didn't see those guys in college, at least. I saw Peyton in his pro career. What isn't? We're gonna say not what is, what isn't Caleb Williams bare minimum and A minus at? He's got a cannon for an arm. He's insanely accurate. His completion percentage bears that out. He's mobile. Again, there's a lot of Mahomes comparisons where he can move in and outside the pocket. He can run. He's a bigger guy. And not as big as, as like a, an Andrew Luck, for example, or, or, or a or Trevor Lawrence. But big guy, sturdy, can, can, can take the NFL hits. Took a lot of hits at USC last year, right? Mobile, A+. Plus. Arm strength, I give an A. Accuracy, A+. Plus. Size, A. Command, decision-making. All of them are excellent. Now, I get, and I get this, there's a maturity question, and that is always, always something I take into account with quarterback more than any position in all sports. Unless, unless you're literally out there getting arrested, I really don't care about your, your overall maturity as an athlete. If, 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 in most, most instances, except for quarterback, because you're representing 
the front office. You're representing the coaching staff. You are the face of the franchise. It's different than being the face of the franchise in the NBA. It is. You you have more responsibilities on and off the field than any team athlete there is. So there has to be an emo- a level of emotional intelligence, maturity, carry yourself the right way. I mean, I don't think it's any coincidence that the guys who have been successful, Mahomes, Burrow, Josh Allen, Lamar, all of these guys are, I mean, Dak, everybody hates Dak, but you cannot say Dak does not carry himself in an A-plus level on and off the field. There's a reason those guys have been successful. And frankly, those to me are the five best quarterbacks in the sport. That matters. And I get for Caleb. He had the pain and nails last year with with Utah, or really a couple seasons ago, where he's like, F Utah or something like that. Or that I, Of course, I don't like that. But Baker Mayfield has taught me a very valuable lesson. Um, and it took Baker a while, but I was not a Baker Mayfield guy coming out of Oklahoma. I did not think he was the best quarterback in that draft, and I've been proven to be right in that regard. But <laughs> we know this is a general rule. Men take longer to mature than women. That's just the, the lay of the land. That's how it works. Baker is really immature in, in Oklahoma. And Baker, unlike Caleb, had legal stuff. Not to the level of Johnny Menzel. People compare Baker to Johnny. That was not fair to Baker. But he, he was running for the cops. There were some other issues. Look at him in Tampa now. He's been through the fire. Now, you one could argue, hey, if he has success in Cleveland, if he never leaves Cleveland, does he mature? That's a fair question to ask. Sometimes you got to kind of fall on your butt to really recognize, hey, I need to straighten myself out. I get that as a reasonable question with Caleb Williams. But criticism's like, oh, he cried in his mother's arms after a loss. I think it was to Washington. That's why he can't be a franchise quarterback. Folks, I have a rule about crying on the show. I've said it so many times. I actually look higher on an athlete when he cries than when he does, or he or she, than when they don't. Because to me, if I see, if, if I see you care so much about your sport and about winning, you are moved to tears. Love that. Everybody, I remember years ago, people made fun of Joel Embiid after he cried after Kawhi hit the walk-off in, in Toronto. I'm like, okay, I can build around that guy if I'm Philadelphia. I can't bid out of Ben Simmons who looked indifferent. Who looked like, oh, okay, yeah, well, yeah. Oh, we lost on the offseason. Here we go. Embiid was crushed. Embiid's where he's at. Simmons is where he's at. So I don't, I actually view that as a positive with Caleb Williams. The fact that he was so, I mean, the USC lost five games last year. Caleb was a part of all of them. He was bothered by those losses. I love, I freaking love it. Mahomes lost a lot of, to me, you build a, what's the, what's the term I'm looking for? You build almost like an armor. I don't know if that's the, the right phrase to use, but you build almost like a, an armor when you continuously lose in college. Again, Mahomes losing record in college. Allen did not win a lot of games at Wyoming to my knowledge. If from what I can remember, Lamar Jackson wasn't winning national championships. Like, CJ Stroud is really kind of the... Stroud, and I still believe in Trevor Lawrence. We can debate that another day. They're kind of the exception to the rules. Where they go to a powerhouse school, win a lot of games, Trevor won a national championship, Stroud got to a college football playoff, really successful, winning, 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 and then they just continue it in the NFL. That's usually not how it works. Burrow's the exception to the rules as well. Uh, Mahomes did not go to a college powerhouse. Lamar Jackson did not go to a college powerhouse. Josh Allen definitely didn't go to a powerhouse. Neither did Dak. Neither did Aaron Rodgers. Neither, I mean, there's a lot of quarterbacks you use that example for. 
So I'm a Caleb Williams believer. I think the guy's going to be a, a phenomenal, a phenomenal um, player. And I think the Chicago Bears, I think it would be the biggest mistake. The Bears have been around for a century. I think it'd be the biggest mistake of, in the history of their franchise if they stick with Justin Fields over Caleb Williams. I think it would be organizational malpractice if they do that. It would wreck them. Listen, Chicago has not had, this is one of the craziest stats ever. Chicago has not had a quarterback throw for 4,000 yards or throw for 30 touchdowns. That doesn't even make sense. Cleveland's had guys do that. You're telling me you take Justin Fields over for Caleb? Okay. Again, I ask one more time. What does he not do at an elite level? Arm strength off the charts. Accuracy off the charts. Mobility off the charts. Command of the offense and decision-making off the charts. And again, as an added bonus, cares deeply about winning. Couldn't Chicago kind of use that? That's all I'm saying. A lot of comments here. Patrick Brown. CJ Stroud was a grand slam for Houston. Anthony Richardson will bounce back in year two. All eyes are on Bryce Young. Will Levis. Well, can the Mayo ba- <laughs> can the Mayo Bandit get it right in 2024? I've never been a Levis guy. I'm not. By the way, Patrick, you're forgetting about a guy who's in Detroit who's not going to play next year, but give him time. By the name of Hendon Hooker, I'm just saying. Um, all eyes on Bryce Young, that's totally fair. But again, and I, and I said Stroud was the better prospect. I, I, I believed in Stroud more than I believed in Bryce. But I think I think I think if you put CJ Stroud in Carolina, okay, maybe they win four games instead of two. Folks, Bryce was little. He was Archie Manning. He was running for his life. The offensive line in Carolina was it wasn't even close. The worst offensive line in the league, and one of the worst I've ever seen. So uh, anybody again, anybody blame Bryce for the issues last year? I don't think really watched the Carolina Panthers. Which, if you didn't, I don't necessarily blame you. They're not. They're a bad football team, but. At least watch the product before you make strong opinions on it. And that applies to anything, sports and otherwise. Parnell, if I could pull up his comment here. Sports PSP, Parnell. What's up, Parnell? The criticism of Caleb Williams is getting too ridiculous, particularly his fingernails and the outfit he wore for GQ. That should not play uh, a factor in his draft stock. The nails I didn't love, but again, it's it's if Caleb had legal stuff, I get it. If he was getting arrested, if, there was, if he had issues with teammates, I would get that. But... We have no evidence of that at all. Uh, Parnell, I'm surprised you didn't have Joe Burrow on that list. I was, listen, that's one of the biggest misses I've ever had in carving it up live. I was not a Joe Burrow guy. I, I, now, I loved him at college, I loved him at LSU. I, I said then, and I'll say now, Joe had the greatest season I've ever seen a college football player have. Quarterback or otherwise. It was 60 touchdowns, 15-0. and 0. That 2019 LSU team was just stupid loaded. Uh, it's amazing. I don't think Orgeron is that good of a coach, and they were still loaded. Just goes to show you how much talent can get you in college football, how far it can get you, rather. And I, I just wasn't that big of a Burrow guy. I, I didn't love his arm strength. Still love his arm strength. I loved his accuracy. Didn't know if he could make those throws of the next level. Mobility, eh. Really, the question with Burrow now is health. Outside of that, he's he's for me dead wrong. Dead wrong. Uh, let's see, what do we got? Parnell, in the end, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Kansas City could have drafted Deshaun, but took Mahomes because of the arm and the intangibles to which Washington, uh, to which Watson had coming out of Clemson. Yeah, I, I'm. It's I was a Deshaun guy in 2017. I liked him better than Mahomes. 
And I mean, a lot of a lot of tapes have been made, a lot of clips, and these compilations have been made, and they're on Twitter. Everybody acting like they're geniuses, which I hate it when people do this. When if a Chiefs fan does it, I get it because Mahomes is their guy. But if a if somebody on the internet puts together a compilation of like Shannon Sharp and you know Stephen A. Smith and others, yeah, I don't think Mahomes is gonna be that good. As if the person posting that's the that's the real cancer of Twitter and social media is everybody's an expert and everybody uh, people play the revisionist history game as if they knew something was going to happen all along. They didn't. Nobody did with Mahomes. Uh, nobody. Not that people didn't think he'd be good. Nobody thought he'd be this good. Nobody. But yeah, you're you're hundred percent Ryan Pat. There or Parnell. There. There's no. <laughs> there is no one right way to find a quarterback. There. There's not. You can go. You can go, you know, Peyton Manning number one, or you can go Brady pick 199. You can go Mahomes at 10th, or you can go Brock Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant. You can go, what's another good example? You can go Big Ben first round or Aaron Rodgers first round, or you could go Kurt Warner undrafted. Like there is no right way to find a quarterback. So there you go. Parnell, Bryson, like you mentioned, CJ Stroud coming out of Ohio State. Are you concerned about quarterbacks who come out of USC? Not, not particularly. I know there's a concern. Guys like Darnold didn't pan out, Matt Leinert. Uh, but I thought Carson Palmer. Now, Carson Palmer didn't live up to being the first overall pick in the draft. Good, but Carson Palmer had a darn solid career in the NFL. And I think, too, it's not just the USC thing, Parnell. It's with Lincoln Riley. All of Lincoln Riley's guys succeed at the next level. All of them. All of them. Baker Mayfield succeeded. Kyler Murray succeeded. Jalen Hurts succeeded. All of them. Spencer Rattler's the exception, and he had to transfer. So I I think the, I don't know what it is. A lot of it is the systems in the NFL become much more similar to college, and so Caleb will fit that better, but that's what I got. Parnell, I think the concern with Caleb on the field is holding the ball too long. If Fields will have issues behind that O-line, imagine Caleb. Could Washington try to for K- trade for Caleb? Cliff is in Washington. Cliff Kingsbury, who was on the USC staff, worked with Caleb Williams. I know there's been a lot of connections there. Listen, if the door opens for the commanders to do it, hey, and I know you're a, a commanders fan, um, Parnell, if if y'all decide to, if y'all, if the opening comes, you give up whatever the heck you have to give up to get Caleb Williams. It would, it would, it would, listen, Washington was one of the most, people forget this because Dan Snyder effed everything up, but Washington used to be one of the single most respected franchises in sports. I mean, Joe Gibbs, three championships with three different quarterbacks. Like, they were – Dallas and Washington back in the day was like the prime, the, the primary rivalry in the NFL. And obviously Dallas – Dallas is at least competent. They're not – but Washington, though. Yeah, I'm, what I'm sorry I say is Dallas isn't what they used to be because of Jerry. But Washington was held by, by Dan Snyder. But new ownership, Josh Harris, Magic Johnson – um, I, I don't love the hiring of Dan Quinn, but given that they couldn't get Ben Johnson, I think it's the best thing they could have gotten given what was on the market. So, although Vrabel would have fit better, but again, Dan Quinn did go to a Super Bowl, so there are worse hires. And but I think Cliff is the OC, works for, for Washington. If but to answer your first question, you know, or your first comment about him holding the ball too long, that's the case with a lot of guys like holding the ball long. Josh Allen held the ball a long time at, at Wyoming and took a lot of hits. So that's something that can be coached out of guys. Um, one of the few things that can't, and we've seen it with Josh, and Josh has done his best to his credit, but I don't know if it's just a DNA thing. Some guys are just more reckless than others. They they just are. Carson Wentz was, Sam Darnold was, Allen still is. Now, the thing with Allen is he gives you it, the pros with Allen far exceed the cons. 
but the cons do come back to bite you at times. Like there's just sometimes guys are just, I mean, we talk about the term gunslingers. Like they're just going to take risks that other guys don't take. Not that you shouldn't take risks because you should, but Josh is always, this is going a different direction, this conversation, but Josh is often taking the risks that I deem low reward, high risk. You're probably not going to get a whole lot of good out of it, but a whole lot of bad can come out of it. Uh, like Mahomes is the best at, at, at kind of identifying, okay, here's risks worth taking. So especially this year with a very limited receiving core. But yeah, I could I could talk about the draft, especially in regards to quarterbacks, all day uh, in terms of the the fact that it's it is the I think finding a quarterback might be the single hardest thing to do in a team sport. It is and on the other side of the coin, I think finding a receiver is the easiest thing. You can find a guy in the fourth, fifth round, pans out and becomes an excellent player. So uh, Parnell, good question, because I have talked about this before. Would you like to see Fields in Pittsburgh? I would like to see Fields in Pittsburgh more than I'd like to see Kenny Pickett and Mason Rudolph. Now, I like Mason Rudolph as a backup. I, I'd, I'd like us to keep him as the backup, because obviously he helped get us in the playoffs last year, but he's he's been there seven years. He's obviously not the guy long-term. But for me, Parnell, if the Steelers trade for Justin Fields, what it would tell me is there's limitations at the quarterback position. They know there's limitations at the quarterback position, and therefore, they're going to try and course correct and take a guy with way higher upside. Now, the thing with Fields is his floor is lower than Pickett and Rudolph's floor. But they're going to have to move from, on from that because his ceiling is obviously way higher. Now, I don't think if the Steelers trade for Fields, I do not expect him to be the guy that gets Pittsburgh back to winning Super Bowls. I just don't have that expectation. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Arthur Smith can work more wonders than even I think he can, but... I just don't see that being as being realistic, but could the Steelers maybe win a playoff game with Justin Fields? Sure they could. Sure they could. The weapons are there. Defense is there. Coaching staff's there. It's a brutal division, but if you can get to the playoffs with Kenny Pickett and Mason Rudolph and Mitch Trubisky, my guess is you could probably get there with Justin Fields. So my preference, Parnell, would be to draft a guy and just start fresh, but I think Fields would be my second choice to address the quarterback position. Now, the thing I don't want them to do is stamp Pat. That would tell me they're not terribly serious about competing. To be completely honest with you, but I would be fine with it. All right, moving on to what do we got next? In the are we talking about NBA, NFL? Make sure we got our topics in line. Oh yeah, Dak Prescott. Yes, we've talked. Uh, I talk about Dak from time to time in this show. I have the the rain Dakota Prescott thing I do during the season. Love that. Well, a report came out from Jordan Schultz, uh, one of the better insiders in in the game who reports that what has been speculated on for some time, that Dak Prescott is likely to command a contract that pays him about $60 million a year, which would reset the quarterback market. Now, it's worth mentioning and putting out there that the highest paid in terms of average, you know, average dollars given out per year or paid per year, earned per year rather, is Joe Burrow at $55 million, which Joe Burrow infamously signed that contract almost immediately at kickoff when the Chiefs game started against Detroit. It was very odd. But... Yeah, so Burrow signed that deal, highest paid guy in terms of annual salary. Uh, Dak Prescott's looking to to surpass surpass that. So I don't even think this should be a conversation for the Cowboys. I don't even think this should be thought about in terms of, I don't think there's another option for them. Because Dak and his agent, Todd France, and I said it then in 2021, and I certainly say it now because it's bared out the way I thought it would from a contractual standpoint. <laughs> they fleece Jerry. Uh, Dak got everything he wanted. 
I think he got $120 million guaranteed, $160 per year, $40 million per year. That's what Dak wanted. And maybe most importantly, no trade clause and no tag clause. So if Dallas said, you know what, we're done with Dak, we're going to trade into the Carolina Panthers. Dak can say, nope, not going there. And they can't do it. It's in his contract. They can't can't trade him anywhere where he doesn't want to be traded. And no tag clause. If Dak plays this year, they let his contract run out, and they want to franchise tag him, too bad. Can't do that. Dak's, Dak's out there for anybody to sign. Which, personally, and this is a this is a risk, but personally, that's how I would play the situation if I were Dak. If I were the Cowboys, I'm like, please, we got to extend this guy because the, the last thing Dallas can do is lose Dak for nothing. That's the worst case scenario. Is 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 if Dak plays this year, whatever happens happens with Dallas, they probably underachieve, at least relative to what Jerry expects, and then Dak leaves in free agency for nothing. That's the worst case scenario. If if they if they want to move on from Dak, they need to trade Dak, not let Dak walk. So, but for Dak, my mindset is, okay, I played on the franchise tag in 2020. Played the franchise tag in 2020, five games of the season, suffered a catastrophic ankle injury. About the worst thing that could have possibly happened. And I still got the contract I wanted. Because my ability, the Cowboys were a disaster without me, particularly on offense. They were bad all year that season on defense. And his value proved to be there, of course. So, if I'm Dak, I'm like, okay, I'm going to make, Upwards of $40 million this year. I'm going to be a free agent. And I'm going to go who needs a quarterback. Because there's a lot of teams out there that are in a rough space or in a confusing space at the quarterback position. We don't know what Atlanta's going to do. We don't know what Miami's going to do with Tua. The reports are they going to extend Tua. I don't know that yet. Well, we got to see what Tua wants. You know, what is Minnesota going to do? Is Kirk going to stay long-term? If so... Is he going to be quite that? Is he going to be that terribly productive? What do the Saints do? Tennessee. I mean, there's a lot of Pittsburgh. You know, I could sure, I'd sure love Dak and Pittsburgh with those weapons. That's how I'd play it if I were Dak. Because the going rate these days for quarterbacks, the, Dak's not going to get any more or any less anywhere else than he get in Dallas. It's point blank. And because of where the quarterback market is going, it's why when everybody lost their minds in 2021, oh, how could you pay Dak $40 million a year? Because that's the going rate for quarterbacks of his caliber. I mean, we look at now $40 million, Dak's the 10th highest paid player. We're like, yeah, Dak's about the 10th. You know, I have him fifth, much higher than most, but most people are like, yeah, eight, nine, 10. Like that's, that feels about where Dak is. You tell me a guy coming off a, a guy who finished second for MVP, uh, had 36 touchdown passes, 41 touchdown interception ratio, completed almost 70% of his passes, second in passer rating, second in QBR. Oh, yeah, we should just let him walk. That would be not organizational malpractice the way I said Chicago not drafting Caleb Williams would be, but it would be exceedingly dumb. Because if we know anything about Dallas's history, in the last two and a half decades, the two quarterbacks that have been most successful there, Tony Romo, Dak Prescott, they lucked into both of them. They lucked into both of them. Tony Romo was undrafted. Dallas could have drafted him seven times, and they, I don't know if they had seven picks that year, but there were seven rounds. Romo didn't go in any of them. They had multiple opportunities, didn't draft him. Dak was a about a late second-round prospect who got booted to the fourth round because he had a DUI before the draft, so that hurt his stock. Even so, according... All the reporters in Dallas will tell you this. Jerry Jones, the Cowboys, wanted Connor Cook out of Michigan State. 
than Dak Prescott out of Mississippi State. So they lucked into Dak there because the Raiders took Connor Cook. So this notion that uh, Dallas, Dallas just replaced Dak like that. Uh, newsflash, I like Shador Sanders a lot. Caleb Williams isn't coming out of the draft in 2025. Or, I don't know about six, but 2025. So, in Dallas's case, they have to extend Dak. In Dak's case, hey, I'm going to use my leverage to my advantage. If I got a contract deal a year after suffering a catastrophic ankle injury in which we didn't know if Dak was going to come back and be himself. In fact, was Dak's career over? Quite the contrary. Dak was even better. Finished second for MVP, three straight playoff appearances. If you want to criticize Dak's record in the playoffs, be my guess. I would argue the first two playoff appearances, San Francisco does that to a lot of teams and a lot of quarterbacks. I've done I've done segments on the show about how quarterbacks' numbers against San Francisco and otherwise, it's, it's night and day. Um, but I think this notion that Dallas needs to move uh, or should move on from Dak, you know, is, is insanity. Now, should Dak move on from the Cowboys? I'm going to ask him to do that for three years. If he does, we'll see. But Dak holds all the rele- leverage, and I think he'll use that to his advantage. Before we get out of here, I appreciate everybody stopping by on a Friday. NBA back. March Madness, not too far away. NBA topic before we get out of here, and I'm going to talk about the Milwaukee Bucks for a second because they've, they've, they've been the topic of discussion, rightfully so, really all season long. Ever since the, the Dame trade back in September, in which they moved Drew Holiday, moved another of other guys, Grayson Allen, to pair a tandem of Giannis Antetokounmpo, who's a top five player in the world, and Damian Lillard, who coming into the season, I add, is a top 10 player in the world. Obviously, the season has not gone quite as planned. They fired Adrian Griffin 40 plus, excuse me, 40 plus games of the season. Doc Rivers, as I and most predicted, has been a disaster. Giannis has still been great from an individual perspective, but Giannis has had some very odd quotes as of late, as has Doc Rivers. But Giannis, after the All-Star game, and I don't think he was joking, talked about how I don't watch a whole lot of basketball games outside of the ones we play. Don't love that. Don't hate it. Don't love it either. I think part of the things that's made, and I'm not going to hold Giannis to a LeBron standard because LeBron's in the GOAT discussion. Whether you think he's the GOAT or not, he's certainly in the discussion. Giannis is not. LeBron's watching League Pass nightly. Kevin Durant watching League Pass. Draymond Green, who's not even close to as talented as Giannis, is watching League Pass nightly. Devin Booker. I see tweets from Devin Booker all the time. These guys are tuned in, man. If Giannis tell the truth, not a great look. Now, clearly it hasn't held him back because he's got two MVPs, a defensive player of the year, and a championship with the finals MVP to boot. So, obviously, what he's doing is clearly working. But that's a weird quote after an All-Star game coming into the second half of the season where I'm not sure there's more pressure on any team this year than there's in the Milwaukee Bucks. The Clippers probably because of Harden's playoff history and Kawhi and PG haven't been able to get over the top. Outside of the, of the Clippers, I think the Bucs are at the top of the pressure list as a team. Then you have Doc Rivers, on the other hand, and he's had even worse quotes, talking about how early on when the Bucs got off to a rough start since his, you know, since he got hired there, he talked about, man, taking over for a team half season. Didn't think it'd be this hard. That reminds me. I'm sorry. I have to go here. I'm sorry. That reminds me of when 
of when Trump became president in 2017 and he had a quote like, I didn't think relations with the United States and China would be this complicated. It's like, what did you think you were getting yourself into? Bro, Doc, what did you think you were getting yourself into? A team with championship aspirations. There's a reason they fired their head coach. They couldn't guard anybody. There was locker room issues with Adrian Griffin. And Doc's going to fix it? And then he's going to act like he's all naive. Yeah, I didn't think it would be this hard. He's covering for himself. Giannis to certain degree has as well. Because Giannis had a quote recently. This is Dame's team. Huh? It, it's, it's whose team? Like, I've heard LeBron and the Lakers say it's AD's team. But a lot of that is, Anthony Davis, we really, really, really want this to be your team. Please take the mantle from LeBron. You're way closer to your prime than he is. If LeBron's our second best player, man, we're in good shape. With Giannis, it's a Dame, outside of shooting, Dame does literally nothing better than you. You score better. You're a better rebounder. You're a better assist guy. You are a way better defensive player. Yeah, you sh you're more efficient. And I love to, I've been a Dame guy for years, but nobody's going to put him in the same discussion with Giannis. So that was an odd, odd quote by, by, by him to come out and say, yes, yeah, it's Dame's team. I feel like Dame's in a spot where, obviously, the pressure's on him. Hey, you got an opportunity to win a championship now with a real contender rather than what you had in Portland. It's it's a lot of strange stuff coming out of Milwaukee right now. I'll, I'll say that. It's it's weird stuff. Weird stuff. So that's, that's why I don't buy in this contenders. It, it's, I've had a rule for a long time in any sport. If I have more questions than I have answers about who you are and what you're about, I don't buy into you as a contender. I said that for years. Outside of 2021, I said that for years about the Brooklyn Nets. I don't trust their health. I don't trust their bench. I don't trust their coaching. I don't really like anything about this team outside of their overall talent. Similar things can be said about the Milwaukee Bucks. I don't think they're as bad as Brooklyn in some of those areas, but man, Boston's way better. I like the Knicks better. I like the Heat better. I mean, the Heat just beat them last year. I like, I don't really buy into Philadelphia that much, but I like Philadelphia a little better if Embiid's healthy. I think this team could be a first-round exit. I really do. I, it's When there's as much locker room problems, when you have the, the again, defensively, they've gotten a little better since Doc has gotten there. They're not as bad as they were with Adrian Griffin, but, man, a lot of issues there. And my man Patrick Brown definitely lays it out. The scariest movie in sports is Doc Rivers in a Game 7, the Barry Grant Jr., the man, the myth, and the legend. Yeah, Barry's had that saying for quite some time, ever since I've known him, that Doc Rivers is the single scariest story, or scariest movie, rather, in sports. And that is true. I, I, I did a segment about that, and it's on YouTube about a month ago when Doc got the job about his, the, the craziest stat of all, and I, I still can't believe this, is that Doc Rivers, when he gets the third, when his team, teams coached by Doc Rivers, when they get the third win, their third win in a best of seven series, after that, they win a third of their games. So when it's, when it's, 3-0, 3-1, 3-2, or 3-3. Basically, when Doc Rivers teams, when the Orlando Magic, LA Clippers, Philadelphia 76ers, when they get their third win in the series, after that, they win about 33% of the time. Like, that's, when I did that stat a, a month ago, like, it's still, that doesn't even make sense. And we know Doc's, you know, Doc's record in game seven, it's, it's not great. Patrick, Bucks fans, you've been hoodwinked. Get ready to cringe and cover your eyes. As if last year wasn't bad enough, getting gentlemen swept by the less talented Heat. 
And then they fired Budenholzer. They, they, again, they traded Holiday because they had to trade Holiday for, for Dane to keep Giannis there to please him. But it's not a good look for Giannis. It's not a good look for Doc. I feel like Dame is going to end up being the fall guy for this. And I think Dame is actually the least to blame of the three, to be completely honest with you. But we'll see. I, I just, I, I do not buy Milwaukee at all. I, I, I don't. And I had them as an Eastern Conference Finals team. I had a hard time deciding. Am I going to go with Boston win the East? Am I going to go with Milwaukee? I decided to go with Boston at the last second to take on my Warriors in the finals, but I didn't think it'd be this bad with the, with the Milwaukee Bucks, but I don't know. Second half of the season started last night. Let's uh, see if you had any games tip, but no, no, none of the games have tipped off tonight, but you got some good ones. Cavs, Sixers. Um, what else do we got down here? Heat Pelicans is an interesting one. Bucks, Timberwolves, Nuggets, uh, Nuggets, Bla- Blazers aren't that good. Uh, Spurs, Lakers, LeBron versus Wemby. That'll be fun. My Warriors are going to boat race the Hornets and keep our role going. Make it, 10 wins out of their last 12. Again, I'm just going to reiterate about the Golden State Warriors. I think I got my swagger back. Oh, oh, oh. I'm just, I'm telling you, the film says it, the numbers say it. Golden State, worst case scenario. Worst case, healthy, I'm saying, will be in the Western Conference Finals. And best case, be back in the same spot. You've been four times over the last uh, nine, 10 years. And hoisting that beautiful gold Larry O'Brien trophy. Oh, I can see it in my eyes right now. That will be 2022 is my favorite championship in Golden State because of the depths from which they climbed out of to get there and all the narratives surrounding them in that time period. This one would be the ultimate, like, you better never doubt us again championship. Because if we can win this year... All bets are off after that. And they're going to upgrade and get a star wing this offseason. So, and could it be LeBron? I, I'm not ruling that out. LeBron, hey, you, you look awful good in the Warriors jersey. I've seen the Photoshops, man. It looks good. It looks right. It fits. You've said for years you want to play with Steph, okay? It's fit-wise on the court it works. Your buddies with Draymond. Kerr's a great coach. He's way better than Darvin Ham. Um, get, get the Bay Area call if you get a chance, uh, Mr. James. I'm just. It, it, it worked pretty well. It worked really well. Uh, okay, before we get out of here, I do need to say this uh, because it it matters as far as an announcement for the show. So I have, I don't know the exact date, but I have not missed an episode of Carving Up Live since early to mid-August because obviously football season, I, I have a goal every football season and every NBA playoffs, I do not want to miss a single show. Like it's, it needs to take some serious external, external circumstances. I got to be really sick one year of the 2022 playoffs. I got the flu and missed like the whole week of shows. I could not have done a show. I felt like trash <laughs> that week. But other than that, I do not want to miss shows. So it's been five months. No, six months. Bad math, Bryson. Six months since I've taken a little bit of a breather. So that's why I'm here to announce I'm going to not be doing any shows the next three weeks. I'm going to be back on Carving Up Live March 18th, so that'll be in the middle of March Madness. Playoff race in the NBA will be ratcheting up. Uh, Major League Baseball will be starting in a couple of weeks. Uh, NFL free agency, the draft will be building up. So there'll be a ton of sports stories by the time I come, uh, I come back. It's very strategic uh, in terms of how I'm approaching this. But listen, just need a, need a breather. need some time to take a deep breath, you know, and enjoy life, be around the family. Uh, be around loved ones. So, you know, take a breather from the show. 
And um, yeah, so just want to announce that. You're going to be off till March 18th, so no Carving Up Live for the next three weeks. I am still going to be doing 8 o'clock spot, at least you know the, the next couple weeks uh, on the show as the host slash judge slash moderator. There's a lot of... A lot of lot of power and a lot of lot of pressure, and it's 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 a it's a a role I'm willing to continue and do it the best the, the best way I can. But carving up live, no carving it up for the next three weeks. Going to take a breather, and I will see y'all on the show once again on March 18th. So, uh, gonna miss y'all, no question about it. But it'll be it'll be brief. In the, in the grand scheme of things. So with that said, that is all the time we have for today's show. Thanks everybody for stopping by again. Be sure to catch Carving Up Live on March 18th. I'm going to take the next few weeks off. So appreciate everybody's support. We've had the genuine thank you to y'all because this show in the last six months has grown more than it has in the last four years prior. And I can't, it's, listen, this show is irrelevant without the audience. It just is. Any show, any show out there, that any host that thinks he or she is somehow above what the audience wants or what they're looking for, they're probably not going to be in business very long because these shows do not work without people taking time out of their day to stop by, to listen to it, if they're driving to work listening to the show, if they're watching the show on their phones, on their tablets, on their computers, smart TVs, whatever the case may be. Uh, this show does not work without the audience. It just flat out doesn't. And so the fact that we've seen this kind of growth is – I cannot tell you how much I appreciate y'all, genuinely, from the bottom of my heart. And I will be continue. listen, the next three weeks, we'll continue to put out content. There'll be videos posted, maybe a couple of YouTube shorts and whatnot. So I'll still be active on Twitter, just – I'm sorry, on YouTube and, and Twitter as well, of course. But just no lives, no live shows until March 18th. So appreciate everybody again for y'all's support. It absolutely, genuinely means the world. But again, be sure to like, share, comment, and please take two seconds out of your day. Hit that big red subscribe button. It helps the channel grow exponentially. Again, we're trying to get to 1,000 subscribers. I, you know, The goal was to try and get there by the Super Bowl. We weren't able to quite get there. But the, tr the, the, tr the, the climb continues. The ascent continues to get to that 1,000 subscriber count. So if you have subscribed again, thank you so much. Your support means everything. Um, please be sure to tell your friends about it, your family about it. Everybody know about Carving Up Live. And, and we can try and grow this show and grow this Carving Up Live family as much as we can. If you have not subscribed, hey, if you're on YouTube, just takes a couple seconds down there. Bigger subscribe button, hit it, and you're part of the Carving Up family. And just as importantly, be sure to go subscribe to the Grid Network. That is G-R-Y-D, the Grid Podcast Network, right here on YouTube, as well as any and everywhere you get your favorite podcast, be it Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, any and everywhere you get your favorite podcast. And check out my man Patrick Brown. You saw him in the comments tonight. He has some great articles for the Grid Network website. Check his stuff out. Check out our, our, our articles, which are really Patrick's articles. He does a fantastic job. Absolutely lucky to have him at the network. Audio content, video content, the Grid Network, the best in the business where we dare to be different. All right. Little, little break for me. See y'all in three and a half weeks, March 18th. Please stay safe out there. Please be sure to take care of your physical as well as your mental health. And please, 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 I beg you, Contact your local state representatives and senators to demand change for gun violence in America. We're tragically reminded of every day. We have got to address this problem with everything that we have. We've got to address this problem for us now and for future generations. So everybody, we need to, we need to do our part in every way, shape, and form to address this. Okay. Lots going to happen the next three weeks. I'm sure I'm going to have a lot to talk about. But again, March 18th, I'll be back. Going to take a breather until then. Stay safe out there. God bless y'all. Peace out. Oh, wrong one. Yeah, no, peace out this way. Okay. I already need a break. See y'all. Peace. Peace.
Thanks so much for watching the show on YouTube, and be sure to go click that big red subscribe button and check out the other clips and full shows from Carving It Up Live as well as our other incredible content creators here on The Grid Network.